0: man of steel answers insight commentary episode 41 batman and superman i have so many questions
1: then of course there's the question on everyone's mind
2: then i'll ask the obvious question
0: start asking questions Do they the answer son Welcome to Mosaic. I'm your DC Films apologist, Doc, and I cover a mosaic of topics for fans who love the Man of Steel and are excited by the Justice League universe. We're going to answer the questions raised by the JLU as we eagerly anticipate each and every DC film. This episode, a look at Batman through the lens of Superman. This podcast dives deep into the justice league universe to answer the critics and the confused This show is not meant to convert anybody but to celebrate the films that make up the justice league universe reasonable minds will differ but this is a show for fans who love dc films and who love to chew their food less than 30 days away and if you're a fan of this stuff it's easy to be absolutely drunk with engagement there is a ton of news to ponder and merch to enjoy this episode is about the long view but in the short term, we are positively steeped in amazing media as it is. But this March could be the most incredible month for fans of superhero media of all time. Daredevil will face off against The Punisher on Netflix. WB Animation will present Justice League vs. Teen Titans. And CBS is bringing The Flash to National City to team up with Supergirl. And of course, even with this super card of matchups, we have our main event 77 years in the making, the historic and the hyped, herald to an entire cinematic universe. Hero on hero action, black and blue, God versus man, day versus night, the greatest gladiator match in the history of the world, Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice introducing the challenger from the black corner he hails from gotham city pound for pound the most popular superhero without powers of all time he's been called the world's greatest detective the caped crusader and the dark knight billionaire bruce one punch wayne is batman And in the blue corner, his opponent from Smallville, Kansas, fighting out of Metropolis, the first and greatest superhero. He's the man of steel, the man of tomorrow, the last son of Krypton. Clark, mild-mannered Kent, is Superman. This episode, we're not going to do a tale of the tape, but we're going to kill with kindness. This show has always been squarely in Team Superman's camp, but that doesn't mean we don't like the Batman. How could I not do an episode featuring Batman before Batman vs. Superman? as a superman fan how can i not be fascinated by batman who is often his character foil each informing the other this isn't a comprehensive history but a stew of ideas for consideration and appreciation maybe more of a therapeutic attitude adjustment for some of team superman i don't want your enjoyment of seeing superman on the big screen to be diminished by envy or resentment towards superman's longest ally and counterpart batman's popularity means that he hardly needs the encouragement. But this is for the benefit of the Superman fan who might feel embittered by a sense of Superman's secondary status. There's value in learning to love your enemies and return praise for insults, to be graceful and thankful. So we're gonna look at how cool batman is as a way of enhancing our enjoyment of superman and vice versa i was inspired by the amusing videos promoting omaze's batman v superman tie-in charitable campaign which contributes to three worthy causes nominated by affleck eisenberg and cavill definitely check them out and contribute as your conscience calls you to give or just for a chance at a number of rewards and exclusives my favorite moment in henry's video was when a kid defended the question of batman or superman by answering batman and superman just as a starter who thinks better superman or
3: batman batman and superman batman and superman nice even answer gonna make it interesting how about you well
0: i kind of like the villain wow (laughs) (laughs) that's a boy after my own heart Perhaps I'm waxing a little romantic because there was that other kid who answered with the villains. Yikes. (laughs) Well, DC Films is totally ahead of the curve and has got you covered, kid, because coming up next on the movie Slate is Suicide Squad. There is so much cause to celebrate and to be appreciative, but let's get back to the Batman, starting with some disclaimers. This episode, our sources are varied and many and all linked within the show notes. Be sure to check them out. Remember that the views expressed are not necessarily my own, yours, or even theirs. Even longtime fans and experts find it tricky to sum up 77 years of history without resorting to subjective sound bites that oversimplify, which might make broad and sweeping claims, use generalizations, spout tautologies, and support symbolism. However, if you could sit them down and cross examine them to get them to elaborate, you'll probably find more merit and nuance and reason to their viewpoints, even if differing from your own. I know that sophisticated fans of both characters have their long-standing arguments lined up the instant they hear things like relatable, hard to write, paranoid, child endangerment, and so on. But just for now, I'm going to ask you to let those go. You know those arguments, I know those arguments, and most of the people in the clips probably know them on some level as well. As an exercise in tolerance, compassion, common ground and understanding, let go your impulse to respond. Let's all just enjoy a bit of Batman. We're going to take the long view to appreciate how these icons have evolved and endured for nearly a century. We'll see how a across the great arc of time, everything is going to be fine. And let's appreciate how historic and happy our opportunity to see Batman v Superman really is. As a rough roadmap, we're going to start with Batman's commercial origins, then talk about their past popularity, then we'll touch on The Dark Knight Returns, and then finish with Batman's modern resurgence. So starting from the beginning, it's no secret that Batman's creation was directly motivated and inspired by Superman. In a 1992 interview with Comic Scene senior- book, Bob Kane, said that if it hadn't been for Siegel and Schuster, I wouldn't have created Batman, nor would there be a comic book industry. So to begin, let's briefly touch on Superman's creation. The following clip comes from the PBS documentary, Superheroes, A Never-Ending Battle. Here's Jim Steranko, comic book historian Bradford Wright, author Michael Chabon, and Mark Wade.
4: The elements that Siegel and Schuster adopted into this comic strip set the pace for virtually everything to come afterward. Superman. The 1930s was a time
5: when the common man needed a champion because the forces aligned against them were so powerful. So Superman may have begun as the fantasy imagination of a couple of teenagers, but he became a social crusader very quickly. Very first issue, he frees a wrongly convicted woman from death row.
2: I have proof of her innocence, a signed confession. He drops in on a wife beater, throws him into the wall. You're not fighting a woman now.
5: He stops a conspiracy between a senator, a weapons manufacturer. Pretty busy first day uh, in the superhero job. He's not simply just this
2: mighty, Herculean kind of hero. You know, he takes on this persona of. All American guy.
6: Kent speaking. Hello, Daily Planet?
2: Superman is an alien. He's an immigrant. He comes from Krypton. He immigrated to Earth. He left everything behind. That world is gone. He comes here. He changes his name to something that sounds, you know, really Gentile Clark Kent. This looks like a job
7: for Superman.
2: He transforms himself into the, the ultimate symbol of the American way of life. That was the powerful expression of the American immigrant experience, not just the Jewish experience.
8: When you strip everything else away, what you're looking at is a stranger in a strange land who wants to be part of a world and not an isolated alien. That's the backbone of America.
0: Next up, we have Denny O'Neill, Kevin Smith, and Paul Levitz on Batman
2: in the History Channel's comic book superheroes unmasked. Naturally, DC wanted another costumed character to match Superman's success. Bob Kane, a 22-year-old journeyman cartoonist, took up the challenge, along with 25-year-old writer Bill Finger. The Batman debuted in the 27th issue of Detective Comics. Unlike Superman, he had no superpowers and there were other differences. While Superman fought for a liberal social agenda, the Batman fought crime, plain and simple. His story began when millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne, as a boy, witnessed the kind of street violence Depression-era readers knew all too well. He saw his parents
4: and now he's obsessed with uh, symbolically avenging those murders. It's perfect, and there's no way to elaborate. You say that and you understand the character.
9: Batman is a fascinating character because he's so driven. It's not the dude puts on you know the outfit with funny ears and the cape and he goes beats crap out of criminals. It's his thought process that's behind it.
8: Having the willpower change his whole life, and
0: to balance being a spirit of vengeance and a spirit of justice. I think that's an immediately appealing concept. Jerry Robinson, Neil Adams, and Jim Steranko also
3: weigh in. The next great superhero to follow Superman would step out of these same shadows in the spring of 1939, when the editors at Detective Comics called upon a young cartoonist named Bob Kane.
10: One day the editor came in, they were looking for somebody to do a new feature to compete with Superman and asked Bob if he could come up with an idea for an adventure strip. Immediately called Bill Finger and said, I got an opportunity to do a new feature. He went over and the two of them concocted Batman. Bob Kane created him with an innocence of, the only kind of innocence you can have as a teenage boy to create something that seems different and borrow it from everything that you can borrow it from.
4: The Shadow is all dressed in black. Batman is all dressed in black. The Shadow is really playboy Lamont Cranston, wealthy man about town. Batman is really Bruce Wayne, playboy and wealthy man about town. Batman, he's the comics version of uh, The Shadow. Yes, Batman. Clad in the somber costume which has struck terror to the heart of many a swaggering
7: denizen of the underworld, Batman who even now is pondering the plans of a new
4: assault against the forces of crime.
10: Batman is Sherlock Holmes and one of the greatest athletes on Earth, all jammed together into one person, isn't he? That's pretty much what he is. In Super Gods, Grant
0: Morrison relates in his lyrical way Batman's origins with additional influences, foremost among them, Superman. Superman's image and name, his significance,
7: spread in wider and wider ripples at the speed of newsprint, the speed of radio. He had managed to plant the standard of Krypton in the soil of Kansas and Metropolis, a strong, elegant, and handsome alien, had arrived to set a precedent that rang a bell with audiences. Where would the next hit superhero come from? How to follow up Superman without copying him, which many tried, and triggering a lawsuit? It seems obvious now. The answer was to reverse the polarity. Superman was a hero of the day, bright and gaudy and ultimately optimistic. What about a hero of the night? Enter Batman. It all began in 1938, when editor Vin Sullivan at Detective Comics was instructed by his boss to whip up a new hero in the Superman mold, one that could capitalize on this new fad for long underwear characters. They imagined that Superman's muscular extroversion might find a suitable counterpart in the introversion of the detective genre. Just as the action in Action Comics had proved to be the perfect springboard for Superman, this new character would complement Detective Comics' primary diet of mystery, crime, and horror. Kane's cold commercial intelligence was all over Batman from the start, where Superman felt like the happy result of trial, error, and patient refinement. Batman was clearly the product of applied craft, cleverly but rapidly assembled from an assortment of pop-culture debris that together transcended the sum of its parts. His appearance was based on a number of sources, including the lead character from a 1930 silent film entitled The Bat Whispers. The resemblance is slight, but the idea of the bestial alter ego is there. Leonardo da Vinci sketches for an ornithopter, flying machine, its design based on the wings of a bat, and 1920's The Mark of Zorro. Bill Finger saw Batman as combining the athleticism of D'Artagnan from the novel The Three Musketeers with the deductive skills of Sherlock Holmes. But the strip also showed the undeniable influence of the 1934 pulp character The Bat, a hooded crime fighter who paralyzed villains with a gas gun. Like Batman, He was motivated to choose his particular crime-fighting guise when a bat flew in his window during one particularly intense and pivotal brooding session. Another bat character, the Black Bat, a district attorney scarred in an acid attack, appeared almost simultaneously in his own scalloped cape and black mask. The two coexisted until the early 1950s, the Black Bat in The Fading Pulps and Batman in the comics. There was very little about Batman that could not be traced directly back to some recent predator. But what he had was soul and staying power, the hard-boiled noir, the supernatural, the high-tech, the super-rich, the fetishistic, all combined in Batman. He was the Rolling Stones to Superman's Beatles, the Oasis to his Blur. The stories in the Superman strips dealt with politics and injustice on the daylight stage of jobs, media, and government. But Batman took the fight to the shadows, the grimy, derelict warehouses and dive bars, where criminal scum plied their trade beyond the reach of the law, but not beyond the range of a batarang or a leathery fist. Batman was out there battling almost supernatural villains, chemically deranged, archetypal bad-trip fairy-tale nightmares who would never feature in Superman's world. Batman then may have been a construct, but he was an immaculate construct, precision-engineered to endure. Batman was born of the deliberate reversal of everything in the Superman dynamic. Superman was an alien with incredible powers. Batman was a human being with no superhuman abilities. Superman's costume was brightly colored. Batman's was grayscale and somber with mocking flashes of yellow. In his secret Clark Kent identity, Superman was a hard-working farmer's son who grew up in small-town Kansas, while Batman's Bruce Wayne enjoyed life as a wealthy playboy an East Coast sophisticate, descended from old money. Clark had a boss. Bruce had a butler. Clark pined after Lois. Bruce burned through a string of debutantes and leading ladies. Superman worked alone. Batman had a boy partner, Robin. Superman was of the day. Batman was of the night and the shadows. Superman was rational, Apollonian. Batman was Dionysian. Superman's mission was the measured allotment of justice. Batman's an emotive two-fisted ass-questions-later vendetta. Superman began as a socialist, but Batman was the ultimate capitalist hero, which may help explain his current popularity and Superman's relative loss of significance— Batman was a wish-fulfillment figure as both filthy rich Bruce Wayne and his swashbuckling alter ego. He was a millionaire who vented his childlike fury on the criminal classes of the lower orders. He was the defender of privilege and hierarchy. In a world where wealth and celebrity are the measures of accomplishment, it's no surprise that the most popular superhero characters today, Batman and Iron Man, are both handsome tycoons. The socialist and the socialite this fascinating new hero was horned like the devil and most at home in darkness, a terrifying, demonic presence who worked on the side of the angels. Whatever the reasons, these carefully calculated tensions and contradictions ensured Batman's cyclically renewed popularity, while Superman's appeal would eventually blur into something tackier as his fierce humanism became reconfigured as nostalgic self-delusion. Superman's brand of essentially optimistic problem-solving found its cynical counterparts in Batman's obsessive, impossible quest to punch crime into extinction, one bastard at a time. As distinct as they were, Superman and Batman would eventually become friends. This future meeting would inaugurate the dawn of the shared DC Comics universe. The first emergent comic book universe began with this grand separation of light from dark, is from isn't, this from that, up from down. In a Kabbalistic, hermetic symmetry, the first light had cast... The first shadow.
0: (laughs) Poetic, right? Those two gave rise to an entire universe of possibility. As
10: Neil Adams says, Within two years, you had Superman, who was so powerful that he could move planets. And then you had Batman, who had no powers at all. He was the opposite. All the other characters fit in between these two characters.
0: So Morrison proposes politics and societal shifts as part of the reason for Batman's ascension and Superman's decline, which could be the premise of entire tomes of scholarly works and analyses. We're not going to get into that, but consider how radical this might be to modern audiences with only a casual acquaintance to these characters. From the outset, Superman was grounded in real-world issues as a champion of the oppressed, the disenfranchised and anti-establishment something recognized by Frank Miller.
2: Unlike most newspaper heroes, Superman lived in the same world as his readers. This wasn't medieval England or another planet. This was a city, a metropolis of lynch mobs and wife beaters, where politicians were crooks, where businessmen exploited workers and started wars in South America. It was the real world of 1938, a world in need of a hero.
11: It was the spirit of the people. He was up against corrupt landlords and vile dictators and and bad generals and all that.
0: By comparison, Batman had represented the elite capitalist establishment, free from legal and societal bonds and boundaries by sheer force of funding and inheritance. Yet contrast that against modern narratives extolling the virtues of Batman's poverty of powers in comparison to his Justice League compatriots. Or allegations that Superman is the rule-abiding fuddy-duddy, while Batman is the bad boy rule breaker.
5: We couldn't accept a goody-goody coming down and doing things just because they were good. But We could accept somebody who felt some twisted emotional need to fight evil, Uh, and we could accept it with violence, and we could accept it with irony
0: comparisons grounded less in social economics and more in mythology look to ancient gods and Homeric heroes. Here's Dr. Richard Rader and Denny O'Neill. In terms of stories from antiquity, heroic characters, characters that we would associate with figures like Batman, Superman, the one thing that immediately jumps to mind is the conflict between Zeus, the king of gods, and Prometheus. Prometheus is a kind of champion of the people, but he also wants to kind of keep his distance. Whereas Zeus's... His approach to the aiding of mankind is slightly more exposed. He wants to be of aid. He wants to, you know, give them things. I think the the analogy of Prometheus Batman is interesting because Batman does not want to become a national hero, right? He does not want to become the people's champion. Unlike Superman, who kind of embraces the role, right, of savior. With Prometheus and Zeus,
4: I don't think it's as valid as uh, Achilles and Odysseus. Because Achilles had superpowers. Uh, Odysseus was just a smart guy. He was really clever and really brave and really determined. So I think there's an exact analogy between Superman and Batman and those two Homeric heroes.
0: Perhaps another point of contention? Morrison observes how Superman represented man against machine. But this was August 1938. Production lines were making laborers
7: redundant across the entire developed world. The authentic man, not to be forgotten... "'above the relentless din of the factory floor. "'Superman made his position plain.' He was a hero of the people. The original Superman was a bold humanist response to Depression-era fears of runaway scientific advance and soulless industrialism. We would see this early incarnation wrestling giant trains to a standstill, overturning tanks or bench-pressing construction cranes. Superman rewrote folk hero John Henry's brave, futile battle with the steam hammer to have a happy ending. He made explicit the fantasies of power and agency that kept the little fellow trudging along toward another sunset fade-out. If the dystopian nightmare visions of the age foresaw a dehumanized mechanized world, Superman offered another possibility, an image of a fiercely human tomorrow that delivered the spectacle of triumphant individualism exercising its sovereignty over the implacable forces of industrial oppression. It's no surprise that he was a big hit with the oppressed. He was as resolutely low-brow as pro poor as any savior
0: born in a pigsty. Morrison's point of view is all the more apt when you think of how Superman routinely rumbles with machine men and cyborgs. Metallo, Brainiac, the mechanical monster, Cyborg Superman, Hoarder Root, the scout ship sentry, World Engine, and many many more. Less organic foes were the natural subjects to receive his super strength, with fewer quandaries about lethality to be sure. But an anti-tech take contrasts curiously against the Batman, who has completely embraced industry wealth and technology batman is famed for his gadgetry and gizmos something that batman didn't start with here's charles rovin and len ween batman was originally more of a super sleuth than a superhero in
12: fact his first crime fighting gadgets were not much more sophisticated than standard lock picks
4: pass keys and an occasional glass cutter
3: he was always on the cutting edge but you know picks and cutters were probably the cutting edge in 1939.
11: Much of the early stories, it was really the technology of convenience. It was what people knew. Comic books were written for kids in the early days. They assumed the audience was 10 to 12 years old at best. And they weren't worried about addressing the technology of the time because they didn't figure the kids understood the technology at the time.
0: As our society grows to adopt and integrate more gadgets and tech into our lives, perhaps we grow in kinship with the hero more heavily reliant on the same.
1: It's a seamless loop. The changes in the real world inspire the writers, and the writers and the artists, in turn, inspire the scientists and the engineers to dream. From high-speed Batmobiles to fast-flying Batarang blades, and from armor-plated Batsuits
12: to supercharged Graveling guns, Batman has
4: set the standard For superhero tech.
0: Maybe. While we want to entertain the ideas, I'll caution against absolutes and leave the deeper analysis to the academics. What does it say about Superman that his greatest nemesis and arch enemy, Lex Luthor, is a scientist billionaire, but that Superman's Kryptonian father was a scientist and that his greatest ally is a billionaire? If we look at the long arc of history, Superman wasn't always so minimalistic, relying essentially solely on his suit. As a science fiction hero, naturally, he had rays and robots and rockets and rings and more. Likewise, around the same time, Batman probably had more exotic and implausible gadgetry than ever before or since. Yet, the Batman's popularity plummeted in that era. Simply being enamored with tech didn't distinguish the character then. On the other hand, Superman maintained relative strength throughout, assisted by merchandising, licensing, and an array of non-comic media.
3: Superman was a merchandising phenomenon. From the World's Fair to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, Superman was everywhere
1: licensing of the early comic book heroes is really an essential part of the building of the whole mythology so they would be launched in comic books but then also other ways too apparel collectibles sendaways giveaways they really stretch the gamut in many ways propelled by the radio shows
4: faster than an airplane more powerful than
3: a locomotive
4: impervious to bullets up in the sky look it's a bird it's a
2: plane it's superman
3: the adventures of superman was a daily 15-minute radio show usually aired just after kids got home from school.
0: Even after the decline of superheroes and an attack on their content, Superman adapted to the next medium and appeased America's predilection towards
3: patriotism. If superhero comics were no longer as popular, children were now enjoying their favorite hero in a brand new medium.
2: Tall at a Television. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman!
9: Strange visitor from another planet who-
3: The Superman TV show in the 1950s so
9: perfectly encapsulates the Eisenhower era that America was right and good and just and morally correct.
2: Fights a never-ending battle for truth,
9: justice, and the American way.
3: George Reeves as Superman so perfectly embodies those ideals. DC Comics even convinced the US Treasury Department to make the Man of Steel their spokesperson. Superman was now officially fighting a never-ending battle for the American way.
12: All you have to do is just put away part of your allowance or your odd job money and put it in United States saving stamps
3: at school. After nearly a decade of trials and tribulations, America's first and greatest superhero regained his strength. Enhanced by the medium of television, Superman made clear to the world that superheroes still embodied the values, hopes, and dreams of the greatest nation on Earth.
0: While Superman affirmed American attitudes about itself into the early 60s, Batman found himself on the verge of cancellation.
5: According to DC artist Carmine Infantino, Batman's titles were selling about 20% each month. The Cape Crusader had lost his way, completely unmoored from his original intention. Batman and Robin had become generic superheroes, plopped down in any situation. Science fiction, monster movies, comedy. The only mystery left in Batman was why National even bothered to keep him in print. Infantino recounts that he and writer John Broom were called into editor Julie Schwartz's office in 1963, as Schwartz brandished a couple of poorly selling Batman issues at him. You two have six months to bring him back or he's dead. Finished.
0: Fortunately, retooling Batman to return to more grounded tales allowed the series to survive long enough for the TV show starring Adam West and Burt Ward to rescue and reinvigorate Batman.
4: Holy masquerade!
3: Okay. Pop art and comic book superheroes made a leap into living rooms across America when Batman came to television in 1966. The show was heralded by a TV guide cover specially designed by Roy Lichtenstein. When you look at Batman,
11: you see all those primary colors that were kind of borrowed from the earlier comic
10: books. I love the TV show with the POWs and the bangs and lettering and all the rest of it. Terrible, terrible humor, terrible, insane, funny, stupid stuff. Climbing up the side of the building by walking across the stage and turning the camera to the side.
11: There are the three Bs, the Beatles, Bond, and Batman. It was a tribute to the comic book. And the comic book sales increased exponentially when we came out.
4: Batman became Camp. In those days, Camp was a fairly serious intellectual enterprise, but when kids see it, they take it literally. When adults see it, they realize it's it's comedic.
1: Batman TV show of the 60s was the type of game changer that brainwashed an entire generation of kids, myself included. It had this crazy vibe that no one had seen before. Batman has many tools and toys and gadgets and friends and villains, and all those things are just ripe for licensing. Little Boys, by that Christmas of 67, got Batmobiles under the Christmas tree and Batman figures and bat capes and batarangs.
4: It was a fad, like hula hoops and coonskin caps, and when it's over, it's over. I knew
12: it was going to be trouble when it ended, and it was. The books died immediately.
0: Although comic book sales slumped, Batman followed Superman's multimedia model and syndication would keep the caped crusader, in the country's consciousness. We're going to skip through time, past counterculture Kennedy and King, past Vietnam, Nixon, Star Wars, and Superman 78, and enter the cynicism of the 80s. Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns was a landmark work which we'll return to in a moment, but which heavily influenced the representation of Batman to the masses in Tim Burton's 1989 film, Batman. I loved
8: the 1989 Tim Burton Batman. I was a a child of The Dark Knight Return, and I saw that realized on screen, and he wasn't Adam West, and it wasn't camp.
11: To have a big movie come
10: out and have the studio really put it out there and say, well, this is the new Batman, and to have that dark but still kind of fun take on the character really galvanized the character in a lot of people's heads. Tim Burton's
8: Batman refined the character back to its roots. It was just a man fighting crime in his bat suit, going out at night and terrorizing criminals.
12: Don't kill me, man! Don't kill
8: me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me.
12: What are you?
8: I'm Batman. That moment when he holds a criminal by the throat, that's the essence of Batman. That's why he wears the suit. That's why he adopts the guys in the comics, because he wants to frighten criminals.
0: Burton's Batman served to confront the culture with Batman not as they remembered him, but as he was and had been in the current comics. A jarring disconnect for some. In his two-star review, Roger Ebert would write, quote, Batman discards the recent cultural history of the Batman character, the camp of the 1960s TV series, the in-joke comic books, and returns to the mood of the 1940s, the decade of film noir and fascism. There was something off-putting about the anger beneath the movie's violence. This is a hostile, mean-spirited movie about ugly, evil people, and it doesn't generate the liberating euphoria of the Superman or Indiana Jones pictures. It's classified PG-13, but it's not for kids. The movie's problem is that no one seemed to have any fun making it, and it's hard to have fun watching it. It's a depressing experience. Is the opposite of a comic book tragic book? End quote. Despite the culture clash, the studio continued with this take into 1992's Batman Returns, which by all rights was a commercial success. Yet, there were still growing pains to Batman's popularity. In 1992, Batman Returns was a summer blockbuster, and the third highest grossing film of the year. In the fall of the same year, Batman, the animated series, would premiere on Fox Television. Yet in a poll conducted by Gallup found that Superman was far and away America's favorite hero.
9: The silver lining for Superman, if not DC, was that he remained king of whatever hill was left. A Gallup poll taken around the time of the death stories showed that just 25% of respondents saw him as passé, compared to 60% who wanted him brought back to life. The nationwide survey, which included people age 18 and older, showed Superman to be more popular than all the other superheroes combined, with 44% picking him as their favorite, 8% liking Batman, and just 5% choosing Spider-Man. 39% knew Superman came from Krypton, and 66% said Lois Lane was his girlfriend. By comparison, just 13% of Americans knew that Delaware was the first state, and only 34% recognized John Adams as the second president, according to another Gallup survey done a year earlier. The public, the pollster concluded, evidently knows more about Superman than it does about American history.
0: Assuming the accuracy of the data, the outcome is astonishing. In the grim and gritty 90s era of comics, Superman was society's favorite superhero, 44% to Batman's 8% and Spider-Man's 5. From this, let me postulate some points of further investigation or testing. Potential lessons from this poll, in no particular order, consider these six possibilities. One, that popularity is fickle. Two, popularity is not intrinsic. Three, popularity does not necessarily indicate long term impact. Four, popularity does not always predict success. Five, not to underestimate the impact of events, and 6. Not to overestimate what your inner circles say about the world at large. To sum it all up, popularity at any point in time seems to be an especially weak authority to appeal to in any argument. It seems to be used as a metric for the intrinsic qualities of a character and their merits without regard for time, transformation, taste, tidings, and turns. But to me, popularity tends to say less about the character and more about fandom, society, studios, appetite, adaptation, execution, and creativity at any given time. If I were to impose something from the characters onto this episode, it would be a theme that we will revisit later, Batman as an exemplar of human effort, striving, and hard work, while Superman's story relates divine grace, luck, chance, fortune, and lightning in a bottle. Through sheer force of will, Warner Brothers insisted upon our adoption of a Dark Knight through Batman 89, Batman Returns, and Batman the Animated Series, even if the public was still enamored with Batman 66 or the more cheery Superman. Yet, nonetheless, that dedication to a specific vision would turn the tide over time. At the same time, none of it would have been possible if Frank Miller had not caught a lightning bolt and bottled it into The Dark Knight Returns. 1986, with other flashes of divine inspiration and arbitrary fortune cementing the success of Batman's second life. A character can capture the public consciousness seemingly overnight, but such surges in popularity can sometimes evaporate just as quickly. Some of these may be applicable to Man of Steel and the dawn of the new DC Cinematic Universe. Maybe. Superman and Batman stand out as icons who have survived the lean and hard times and endured through boom and bust who have been built to last
2: and likely outlive us all. When it came to the first superhero, his durability was proven once again. Over the years, many different writers and artists had redefined Superman. The character had survived because he could be reinterpreted to reflect the times. The ones that work are archetypes. Made
10: by people who believed and cared. Batman will still be around in a hundred years time. I love comics, I want to read them forever, but superheroes need them, because they'll fossilize like Dick Tracy or the Phantom. If you stop publishing superheroes now, all the new ideas that keep them relevant will stop. They'll be frozen in amber like that mosquito in Jurassic Park. To keep those mythologies expanding, to keep those mythologies fresh, you need new voices. With each evolution, again
0: and again, Superman and Batman would leave their mark on American culture. Superman spawned an industry, and Batman would shake the genre to its core in 1986. This week marks the 30th anniversary of The Dark Knight Returns, a work which reverberates throughout comics to this very day. Here's Mark Wade. Frank Miller, Neil Adams, and J. Michael Straczynski. In
3: 1986, artist and writer Frank Miller reinvented Batman in The Dark Knight Returns, reinvigorating the Cape Crusader by bringing him back to his nocturnal roots. With Dark Knight,
8: Frank Miller took Batman, who to all Americans who weren't faithful comic readers was still Adam West still a camp, pal, zap, wham character, and catapulted him into a very adult, very gritty, very dark story.
11: Something terrible happened. I turned 29 years old. And I realized I was about to turn 30 and I was going to be older than Batman, and I could not let that stand. I had to make him older. He's the tough father figure. I had to to come in and fix this right quick, so I made Batman older. And the more I played out the idea, the better it got.
10: He chose to make him 55 or 60 or whatever that age is. He's older, he's grizzled, he's thick, he's muscled. In spite of all this, he will never change. He is Batman. Until he dies, he will be Batman. The Dark Knight was about a dystopic Gotham in the
8: future where Batman had retired and was coming out of retirement. He was creaky, he was broken. All the villains were aged and gone, but a new menace had risen to to bring Batman to the fore. And it was phenomenal. I think the impact of Dark Knight and
12: Frank Miller's work cannot be overstated. It broke out those characters in ways that no one had ever dared do before. It brought an adult point of view to comics that have been absent. And I think it, it really stands to one of the most seminal works uh, in the field today.
0: Mike Carlin and Grant Morrison. Well, I think part of what Frank did was he was
12: preaching about superheroes. I mean, there was a point where this story and Watchmen are both considered deconstructing what it means to be a superhero.
3: That's what Frank Miller was trying to get away from and break away from was the sense of superheroes being used for nothing other than to tell stories about superheroes doing superhero things. <laughs> you know, when you can say they can talk about politics, they can talk about sex, they can talk about fear. Here's what we can do, here's what they can do, I'm gonna prove it to you.
0: Finally, Miller again
2: and Neil Gaiman. A four issue fantasy of the future. The Dark Knight Returns. It pits an aging Batman against psychotic foes and a corrupt society.
11: I just wanted to do this older Batman and, and to make him really nasty. I thought, what better way to make him a badass than have him be the dirty, hairy out there,
2: the, the guy that nobody liked. For Miller's Batman, the biggest problem isn't the Joker, but Superman, a well-meaning Boy Scout enthralled to Ronald Reagan, conducting one man's secret wars in Central America. Superman and Batman had been friends since 1940, but weren't
11: after 1986. I'll gleefully take credit for breaking up the, the Batman-Superman friendship. Bruce has been one who enforces order in the world and believes that entropy is the natural state of existence, whereas Superman believes that order is the norm. These two people would not like each other. They just wouldn't. We felt at the time like every Batman story that could have been told had already been told. And suddenly, here's Frank. In the mainstream media, It it got a great deal of attention, positive and negative, mostly positive. Within the comics industry, it it seemed to be closest thing to a bar fight anybody could have asked for in that that, that it was quite controversial. I actually got called up by former Batman writers saying I had ruined their character. Dark Knight has been accused of being a pro-fascist vision. I mean, that doesn't make it any less interesting um, as
0: a work of art, nor does it say particularly that that's the side that Frank comes down on.
11: I think my stuff's kind of jolly, but that's just me.
0: Although The Dark Knight Returns ostensibly casts Superman as a statist antagonist, Shades of his true self still rang true in this dystopian vision of the near future. Bruce Timm comments, You know,
11: Superman doesn't just go out and just like, I mean, he could just go out there with one blast of heat visions. Batman would just be a, a stain. But uh, but he doesn't. It's a lot more complex and more interesting than just saying, you know, Superman's just the stooge.
0: And this idea echoes into Batman v Superman as repeated by the filmmakers and our leads.
9: Can this be a fair fight though? Because like Superman's superhuman. And Batman has all these amazing gadgets and an awesome car, but he's human. So how is this how is it a fair fight between these two?
3: It's not, but we've got to make the story interesting.
9: <laughs> right, so how do you do that? <laughs> takes advantage of the fact that superman's a good guy basically <laughs> probably wouldn't just pull his head off right at, right just at the beginning you know what i mean
0: from the trailers alone we know that it isn't purely a question of capability batman is essentially at superman's mercy throughout their encounters the conflict is ideological and cathartic and the puzzling together of the logistics to create those exceptional circumstances in which batman might have the capability nevertheless the fight is and has always been imbued with Character. Both combatants, even mired by their conflict, cling to their heroic hearts in the end. In The Dark Knight Returns, Batman never truly intends Superman's death, and Superman is ultimately in on it. The bottom line is that Superman's in on the outcome.
12: You know, he knows that Batman's not dead, he knows that the fight isn't going to have a conclusion. Superman's in on helping Batman set up the future. He found a way to be Superman at the end of the story.
0: Whatever Frank Miller's intentions or allegations, some aspect of him caused his story to end with the world's finest as allies, capturing the essence of a bittersweet truth that caused his work to resonate more than if he had solely intended the decimation of the superhero. Instead, it was utterly influential and inspired countless comics afterwards. The impact was strongly felt and left some creators ambivalent, concerned, and cautious, especially, especially when paired with Alan Moore's Watchmen. Here's Mike Richardson, the president of Dark Horse. The Watchmen and
3: Batman The Dark Knight Returns. There were two watershed books uh, of that period. I think it was a good thing and a bad thing. I think that even though those works are both brilliant works, the traditional innocence of superheroes went out of the market at that point.
0: With respect to Watchmen, its deconstruction was considered by some to be openly hostile to superheroes, but no less invigorating. On Watchmen, here's Mark Waid, Zack Snyder, J.M.S., Len Wein, Gary Phillips, Grant Morrison, and Todd McFarlane. In the world of superhero comics, the
8: pivotal moment wasn't a specific publication; it was a specific year, 1986. DC hit with both Frank Miller's The Dark Knight and Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen.
1: In Watchmen, there's a lot of great stuff about the American dream. And in the Alan Moore version, it's a little bit of like an American nightmare because basically you have characters like the comedian. He's a gun-toting construct of U.S. foreign policy. And he's the scary psychopath that's come to kill us all. Damn, I love working
4: on American soil, Dan. Ain't had this much fun since Woodward and Bernstein.
1: He's just shot all these, like, protesters.
4: What the hell happened to us?
1: What
11: happened
4: to the American dream? What happened to the American dream?
1: It came true. You're looking at it. And I think that that's Alan Moore's sort of view of America.
5: Instead of imagining kind of a perfect anti-hero, He looks at the basic question that has been at the heart of superheroes from the beginning. Anyone who would put on a costume and fight (laughs) bad guys is not normal. It spoke of the darkness inside of us, not just the external
11: threats. And that was something that galvanized the industry. Books like Watchmen, which I was the editor of, and and The Dark Knight Returns were both very violent books. They were meant to be exceptions to the rule, but they were hugely successful. And so everybody started to do
2: those books. You could argue that some of that got way out of hand and way too much down certain paths, but nonetheless, that had to be done because, I mean, I think that was necessary to sort of kind of reinvigor the the field.
3: People at the time were saying, there's no point doing superheroes anymore because this has effectively destroyed them. It's exposed them to the light of reason and they can no longer operate.
1: Here's Batman, he goes and gets a joker and the joker kills somebody and they put him in jail and joker escapes and then he kills somebody and batman gets him and he escapes and he kills somebody ad nauseum for 40 years well there's now a hundred dead people at some point batman could stop the killing Poof, kill the joker done we're done we just ended it he's a corporate character can't do that
0: superheroes were reinvigorated with a shot of deconstructive realism leading to hyper violence dark subject material and extreme whatevers but after deaths and rebirths brokenness and reinvention, the novelty wore thin, we found ourselves desensitized, and appetites shifted as the pendulum swung back, and that season started to pass. While comics entertained realism, reality bit back, which affected how pop culture would process the pain.
3: The grim and gritty era of superhero comics was ending, but a darker reality would overtake not just the comic book universe, but the real world. As America waged its war on terror, a 2005 film version of Batman established him as the man-drone of 21st century urban warfare. It was the first of a blockbuster trilogy of Dark Knight films, all directed by Christopher Nolan. The Nolan movies were, I think, a complete response to the the state of emergency after 9-11. This is about a war, and it's about a stateless war, and it's about one man against an enemy that you can't even point to because they could come out of any hole at any time.
1: Christopher Nolan's Batman is the coolest, most serious Batman, and the audience is hungry for their mythology to be taken seriously. They want their mythology to be respected, and I think that's what Chris Nolan does. She respects your belief in Batman. People have always said like, oh, Dark Knight is super dark. I'm like, it's dark, but it's still fun. So what do you think? Does it come in black?
0: After 2001 and the Patriot Act, our attitudes fragmented and the range of tastes complicated according to the diverse and divided ways that we as a society address our issues. Some wanted unadulterated escapism, while others wanted to work out our issues by tackling the themes of the day in safe fantasy spaces. Marvel's Civil War and DC's identity crisis would confront classically four-colored worlds with more complicated dilemmas not readily resolved with black-and-white attitudes. Suddenly, the entire pantheon of the past and Pandora's box of possibilities was fair game for modern appropriation. On one hand, stories would reach back into the sillier and safer Silver Age for romantic takes like All-Star Superman, while other stories would fully apply realism and skepticism in stories like Secret Identity. In two years, animated Batman would go from the colorful and comedic Batman the Brave and the Bold, with a catchphrase spouting Aquaman, to the jet-black, solemnly serious Beware the Batman. With British SAS bodyguard and Soul Taker Sword sidekicks, Robin need not apply. It was a time to celebrate the diversity and Gamut of takes and tastes. In a recent interview on the Hall of Justice podcast, Jay Oliva shares how he appreciates the ability to execute and explore specific approaches.
6: I think superheroes are universal. It doesn't matter what age you are. There's, of course, stories that are made for more adult audiences, which is why, you know, a lot of critics who didn't like Man of Steel or Batman v Superman coming out or, or the Zack Snyder universe that's coming out, I always point to them, well, if you don't like, you know, Man of Steel, for example, there's a million other things that you you and your kids can watch together. That is Superman-centric and Superman-friendly to kids. We have Superman the Animated Series. We've got the Donner films, which all work. Smallville all works. I mean, there's so many of those films and series, and there's only one that appeals to, like, the 35, or in my case, the 40-year-old me, and that is, and I want that. You know, like, Watchmen should never be an animated kids' show, but Watchmen has, you know, a lot of themes, a lot of stories. Or Spawn, right, right, right. And so I think what I love about, at least here at DC and Warner Brothers, is that we have a thing for everybody you know batman braving the bold is for a particular demographic of batman fans batman the enemy series is another batman fan what i do in my you know batman bad blood is for a different it's not an all for everything kind of thing and i like that i like the fact that we can explore different things like we have killing joke coming out in a couple of months mm-hmm. crying out loud I mean, you
0: know as superheroes experienced a cultural resurgence academics would pit batman against superman as archetypes for all manner of messages some propose that batman represents something tribal and animalistic. His vigilantism abandons the law and critiques civilization because mankind and civilization failed him when his parents were murdered in front of him in an alley. By contrast, Superman is an alien who gets adopted and integrated into both the farm and the urban landscapes of America, making his home the city of tomorrow. His origins have everything to do with the success of civilization. In Our Gods Wear Spandex, author Christopher Knowles proposes a number of superhero archetypes rooted in spirituality. It should be no surprise that Knowles assigns Superman the messiah archetype. However, what you might not expect is that he pegs Batman as a golem, noting that golems are anti-heroes and driven by forces which almost make him liable to harm those that he is pledged to protect. The vengeance of the Batman, the rage of the Punisher, the berserking Wolverine. Knowles writes, quote, the golem archetype is essentially the byproduct of insecurity." Security and wounded pride. It provides a satisfying emotional release for the bottled up rage, frustration, and feelings of impotence that persecution and bullying engender. End quote. Many of the more nefarious yet seductive aspects of Nietzsche's Superman are, in fact, perhaps better embodied in Batman. In an interview with the Comics Journal, Frank Miller said, quote, In the Dark Knight, there's a much more direct use of my real life experiences in New York, my experiences with crime. My my awareness of the horrible pressure that crime exerted on my life. Batman has to be a force that in certain ways is beyond good and evil, a moral force that is plainly bigger and greater than normal men and perfectly willing to pass judgment and administer punishment. End quote. Almost a complete encapsulation of the Nietzschean Superman. So all of this often adolescent anger against civilization, against society, against our enemies, against our powerlessness, against our our confusion against our own weakness in trading our principles for security was perhaps more readily channeled into the batman as an avatar for our darker yet willful and stronger selves roiling with fury but released only in calculated and disciplined bursts rather than the indiscriminate rampage of the hulk
12: that's how it starts the fever the rage the feeling of powerlessness that turns, good
7: men, cruel.
0: Yet for many, once that had subsided, aged, and mellowed, and the consequences of that unresolved anger was considered in calmer conditions, there were those who longed to return to the light and hope. If you matured, became a parent, took on relationships, responsibilities, and reality, the angry archetypes might speak to you less. Accordingly, those characters might seek more specific audiences or adapt. Batman might become a more chivalrous knight than a brooding brawler, or settle into fatherhood with an extensive social support network rather than an adamant independent loner prideful and who bristles at any offer of assistance some of these things none of these things or anywhere in between batman is a robust character capable of supporting a broad spectrum of executions that flexibility perhaps in part a credit to his fandom who accept and endorse variants in fact this very aspect of the character is celebrated again and again throughout the mythos, but specifically in animation. Batman Gotham Knight, Batman the Animated Series Legends of the Dark Knight, Batman Beyond, and more. With Batman, when possible, the diversity of the past is recognized and remembered, rather than fans flocking to adherence to one and only one take. Allowing works like The Dark Knight Returns to be remembered and to persist alongside Batman 66 allowed fans to enjoy any specific vision of the Batman without angst. Instead of pitting the bat against himself, this open-minded celebration meant an impossible amalgamated identity without the insecurity that fans of other heroes might face. To the multiversal bat fan, Batman was at the same time the gruff individualist who could be cruel beyond measure, while the affable hero that no child would ever fear. He would be at the same time one who exemplified the discipline, willpower, and principles to never cross the line, while being allowed all the credibility of somebody who would and has crossed the line. He was the hero without powers, reliant on nothing but himself and his wits, while at the same time the master of all technology, science, allies and invention, shamelessly allowed superior sci-fi powers as long as it was tech or tool-based. He was always right and infallible, undefeatable and invincible, yet often tragically wrong and wounded. He is the most relatable superhero, while an inaccessible god. Rare is a character allowed to embody so many contradictions and extremes. Some of it perhaps being inherent in his nature as a character of the dark ultimately fighting for the light. But I attribute at least some of the credit to the fans and the creators turning to reconciliation as a reflex, rather than rejection of anything different, specific, or new. There's a certain confidence in your character. When you have, the Dark Knight returns in your back pocket. When you need Batman to be a badass, or to be able to draw upon Batman's 66 if you're craving camp. From outside, it can seem delusional, but it is absolutely a source of power and success for the Batman. Of course, this multiversal view, acceptance of variance and difference, allowing for challenge and contradiction, it didn't arise overnight. I think many Superman fans and creators are there, but those who begrudge variety in Superman have perhaps not been privy to the buffet of takes on him, until Man of Steel thrust something seemingly different into their awareness. I can't necessarily blame them for their diet-lacking variety. Even as Superman fans, we're sometimes guilty of recommending the same handful of graphic novels, suggesting that this primer is the sum total of the Superman. And so often, he gets reduced to an easily digestible, solely symbolic sun god. Something that longer form, less concentrated or crystalline consumption of soap opera Superman fans seem less prone to do. Those who enjoyed the Superman serials, Lois and Clark, Superboy, Smallville, and now Supergirl can be more forgiving and less expectant of Superman, unless confined to a singular vision in any one of those shows. Strangely, for all of Batman's proposed psychological nuance, he's had trouble with long-form, soap-like formats, although Gotham is getting a third season and Arrow seems a strong proxy. In other words, as Man of Steel's Superman takes root into our cultural consciousness, soon we may see Superman in the same multiversal light that many bat fans already enjoy. All that said, as far as my own tastes are concerned, if ever there was a definitive Batman, Bruce Timm's animated series submitted one of the most worthy candidates. The influence of Batman the Animated Series on future fandom decades later cannot be overstated. There's no way I can do this series justice in one little segment, but just as Superman influenced Batman's creation, Superman's multimedia blitz had Batman follow suit and Superman finds himself featured in many of Batman's seminal stories, here again, Superman had a hand in one of the most beloved Batman renditions. Bruce Tim explains. So
5: the first thing I did was I made color Xerox blow-ups of a whole bunch of old pulp covers from the 30s and 40s. So I had those plastered all over the walls for inspiration. The Fleischer Superman cartoons from the early 1940s, those were probably the strongest influence on the look of Batman and the series as well.
0: Instead of my rambling thoughts about the show, here's a short reflection on the series by those involved and in the industry.
11: The show is just Dark. I mean, it's like dark, dark, dark. It's like black on black.
9: The approach to the series in general was to try and make it feel timeless. I wanted to go back to the comic books and really do a serious Batman show. And it worked great. And It was just a show you wanted
10: to watch again and again. There was something about it that just punched you right in the face when you turned on the TV show really did help to define the way people looked at batman
8: batman the animated series as a touchstone of batman history and as a like a clear marker in the batman timeline is as prominent as anything i think is going to be as important to batman's history perceived that way now and in the years to come as important as the new look batman in the 60s or the big the spring batman in the 50s it really was a touchstone that not just cartoon guys but comic book creators themselves have been able to draw from since then and that sensibility and that sense of giving batman that darker edge and that timeless quality to
5: him it's very much an important marker in batman's history the legacy of batman the animated series is going to be that it raised the bar for the standard of animation
10: I thought some of these early cartoons, especially, were so well-written,
4: so beautifully animated, such a wonderful gift to those of us who love the comic books.
10: The greatest thing about the Batman series, it pioneered it for so many other things. Without what all these guys did on Batman, we wouldn't have Justice League, we wouldn't have the Superman animated series, we wouldn't have the Teen Titans animated series. We want them to survive and thrive and grow and change, but at the same time, they have to keep their iconic status, and that's what these guys did.
11: For my money, this is the quintessential ultimate Batman because it incorporates all aspects of the history of Batman. In a way, our version of Batman is, I think, at least I've heard from a lot of people from, you know, who grew up watching the show, that that's the Batman they think of when they think of Batman. It's like, oh yeah, that's, you
5: know, the Batman animated series is is Batman to me. And so it's neat to be a part of that legacy. It's a cultural icon. And to be a part of that, you know, it's
0: it's an honor. In retrospect, it's a testament to the show that it was able to overcome my first impressions of the Bat alongside a contemporary parody. In terms of first impressions, I can say that I was always aware of Batman, but not as an individual entity. They were always Batman and Robin to me, either as a silly syndicated cop with West's weirdly inflected delivery, or as an unblinkingly optimistic super friend, always accompanied by a boy who had forgotten his pants. In some sense, that view never went away to the point that Disney's Darkwing Duck seemed a completely legitimate, nearly interchangeable proxy for Batman, right down to the perpetual insecurity about his lack of superpowers.
12: What's the matter, Diffwing? I thought all superheroes
9: could fly! For your information, superpowers do not a hero make! How can the citizens of St. Canard ever thank you, Giz?
2: No thanks are necessary, Barb.
9: I just did what any
11: super-powered superhero would do.
12: Oh, it's just not fair. There's
2: no way I can compete with that noodle-headed nitwit and his super silly superpowers.
0: I can't exactly reconcile how much I loved Burton's Batman film with the revelatory experience of diving back into the back catalog of late 80s Batman comics to be blown away at this different take. But I think it goes back to the previous discussion. It made my mind malleable with respect to Batman, able to accept radically different takes. But again, I can't express how much batman the animated series changed my life from someone aware of comics to somebody desperately and entirely devoted to dc comic superheroes my marvel fandom is a different story for another time unquestionably the casting of kevin conroy was some of the lightning bottled by the show
5: i said well let me just come up with some voices let me just try some stuff so i started i came up with this very, very dark and this i went into this whole other place that no one else had gone to, I guess, and I could saw them all running around in the booth, and I realized that I had touched a nerve.
12: The room of producers and writers and people sat together and said, we are done. We have found the voice of Batman.
2: If I'd gotten there five minutes sooner, how long before I let someone else I care about down? Leslie, Alfred,
0: Conroy's signature performance would return as part of the mix for the next generation of Bat fans weaned on the digital delights of the Arkham series of video games. Again, another touchstone which I don't have time to do justice, but if there is one area of complete and utter envy as a modern day Superman fan, it is the love song and the masterpiece of interactive art that the Arkham series of games represents. I'm not going to get into video games as art, as business, and their cultural impact, but suffice to say where Superman braved radio, TV, and film before the bat, here, Batman has fortified a home in the frontier of a new medium, one where hopefully Superman can one day follow. But that's another show. Obviously, we have barely scratched the surface of either character, their history, or analysis, but as we wrap this up, I just want to refocus this onto Batman v Superman and a theme that you might want to consider looking out for on your third or fourth viewing. It deals with batman as an exemplar of effort and superman as a gift of grace let's look at the bat
10: what i love about batman is the
5: sense that these things really are possible i think that makes him much more relatable because batman's very much a human being he embodies that fantasy of a man who through sheer self-discipline turned himself into a heroic figure i think that's just a very compelling myth
11: The accessibility of Batman is because you don't have to be rocketed from another planet or have strange powers. All you have to be is the top of your physical ability and top of what your mind can achieve. The best thing about Batman is he's not really a superhero. He's a human
2: and he shows us the greatness of what humans can be.
1: Batman says we can make meaning in a difficult world. We can pursue justice in an unjust world. Batman's a character that provides us hope that
0: all of us meet. When you listen to Batfans speak about the more inspirational aspects of Batman, it is almost always about resilience, transformation, and effort. It is a noble narrative of overcoming, triumph, and strength. Willpower, determination, and recovery said to be applicable to our own lives when faced with hardship, trauma, or self-doubt. Taking bad and turning it good, especially for the sake of others, is how Batman inspires. And I have absolutely no cause to question those people who found such inspiration applicable to their lives. But of course, all of the above is almost always qualified by Batman's humanity. Batman doesn't have powers, Batman is human they will often say, as a point of relation to this fictional god of willpower. That his capability comes completely from mortal means. And while that shows the Batfan's ability and flexibility in construing a strength, it tends to ignore those externalities which are outside of our control, purview, abilities and circumstances. It glorifies the human. Which Which, for the sake of willpower, motivation, and self-discipline, is absolutely necessary and astonishing at times. Humans are incredible and we can do incredible things. But even all the intention in the world doesn't address those things which are beyond ourselves. Whether society, circumstances, fortune, fate, grace or God, Batman's creation was not entirely self-transformation. Now, to be fair, some of this is inherent in the fantasy of the Batman, when Bruce is orphaned, societal and family safety net structures never arise. Instead, he's attended to by a butler in a cavernous mansion and allowed nearly total autonomy and agency over his life henceforth. It is the idea that we can rear ourselves, not just competently, but to be the most competent being on the planet. Without help, alone, and on our own, the human can make himself into an expert in everything, second to none. But nonetheless, the fine print is there. You can do all this, if... You're wealthy beyond comprehension, young enough with time to spare male, and just happened to have the right psychological response to the tragic death of your parents. Would the Waynes have stopped Bruce if he said that he was going to be the best of everything? Perhaps not directly, but their existence would be a comfort which would have lulled Bruce into the complacency of a normal and happy life. He could never have achieved his level of greatness without these things outside his will and control. Alan Moore seemed acutely aware of this gap in the Batman narrative, in The Killing Joke, where Batman is, perhaps a little too intimately, analyzed by the Joker. Here, dramatized by Alex Shaw.
12: You see, it doesn't matter if you catch me and send me back to the asylum. Gordon's been driven mad. I've proved my point. I've demonstrated that there's no difference between me and everybody else. All it takes is one bad day to reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. That's how far the world is from where I am. Just one bad day. You had a bad day once. Bruce. Am I right? Don't be afraid. I know I am. I can tell. You had a bad day and everything changed. Why else would you dress up like a flying rat? I'm sorry, Master Bruce. You had a bad day and it drove you as crazy as everybody else. You have to let them go. Only you won't admit it. You have to keep pretending that life makes sense. That there's some point to all this struggling.
0: The idea of one bad day being so completely transformative rings true with Batman, and it's why he strives to build his resilience and obsesses with saving Gotham from more bad days. However, it also inclines Batman towards absolutes. If one bad day could make the Joker or himself, that was one thing. But what would one bad day for a godlike alien like Superman mean? This is Batman's justification for converting 1% into an absolute. Certainty. Count the
3: dead.
11: Thousands of people. What's next? Millions. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty.
10: And we have to destroy him.
0: No quarter is given, no mercy applied, no nuance, no grades of gray. Instead, black and white absolute certainty with a final solution from which there is no return. We have to destroy him. Contrast this against the thematic message in Man of Steel summed up by Jonathan Kent's single-word answer, maybe. The Socratic, what do you think, and the consulting of a clergyman the balancing of principles, entertaining of doubt, considering context, and then taking a leap of faith to trust rather than a rush to condemn. While Batman de-emphasizes circumstances, the Superman mythos has brought them to the forefront. Fate and destiny or coincidence and chance are pivotal in Superman's origins. Escape from a planet doomed to die. A disaster which loses its punch or poignancy if Jor-El's predictions are wrong and Krypton survives. While Batman strives to atone tone for being ineffectual as a child, Superman's story is one of grace, with gift after gift. The baby Kal-El has done nothing to deserve rescue, to get the gift of a Kansas farmstead and the quiet life of childhood contemplation with the kind and the loving Kents, instead of, say, Soviet Russia, to get the gift of solar powers capable of saving the planet. These passive events are beyond Clark's power to procure, but he isn't passive in his powers, just as he had received beyond measure Superman saves in merciful rescues that you were never entitled to. Should the normal course of events transpire, you would expire, save for Superman as an unexpected grace. Contrast this against the Batman descending upon you, and it is likely something you earned. A penalty for evil, reaping where you have sown. Batman's wrath is completely causal. Again, humanity is capable of the incredible. Striving can achieve great things, but none so great as what is accomplished by grace. In Man of Steel, Clark is the product of his own contemplation and outside circumstances, but also countless points of grace, which together allow him to save the world. In Batman v Superman, despite a two decade long career, Batman denigrates his contribution by saying that the single most important thing he may do is the destruction of Superman.
12: 20 years in Gotham, how many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? This may be the only thing I do that matters.
0: In other words, even if you completely discount Clark as nothing but a lottery winner, the sum of his contributions to the impact on the planet outweigh even Bruce's 20 years of accomplishments. So while human striving and willpower are important, they seem nothing in the light of grace. At the same time, all of Clark's power and potential is meaningless if there is no will behind it and it is not put into action. Part of the reason that there is so much criticism for Jonathan Kent and so visceral a condemnation of him is that we can't stand. To see gifts squandered, even to the point of ill advised and impatient action, an attitude that any action is better than care, caution, or contemplation. But in the spirit of this episode, we need both. And that's why these two heroes are such a compelling combination. We should neither be paralyzed by indecision nor dogmatic in our action. We need Batman's drive and will and call to action to run marathons, change our character, and strive for better. We need Superman's gratitude and attitude to appreciate what we've been given. To not take it for granted, and to be moved to use it for the sake of others, whether deserving or not. As much as we praise Batman the animated series, only in combination with Superman could the Justice League series reach heights that neither could attain on their own. And Batman v Superman, and the Justice League universe being steered by the DC film's Brain Trust, knows this by giving us a film which confronts us with the contrast between these two heroes, but ultimately showing how they're stronger together. As far as the marketing has presented, Batman. Batman's mission is to destroy Superman. Given that this is a dawn of justice, with the Justice League forthcoming, we know that Batman doesn't accomplish that mission. Yet at the same time, we know that Superman has demanded that Batman bury the Bat. Unless Bruce is acting completely in a Batman Beyond advisory capacity, it is likely that Superman doesn't get that done either. Instead, these two will come together, each gaining strength from the other. Batman will learn from Superman's gift of grace and extend it back to Superman. without anticipating the end of the world, whether calculation determines that deserving or not, to hope instead of fear, trust instead of cynicism. Meanwhile, Superman learns from Batman the need for action and preparedness. Superman tries to limit his engagement in the affairs of the world, but joining the Justice League is anticipating a need, irrespective of how the world might worry about the aggregation of powers. Superman can't simply react, but he needs to strive for global safety in the way that Batman is always prepared. Preparation instead of passivity. To will the world the way you want it.
2: Superheroes endure because they represent present basic American beliefs, that there are choices to make between good and evil, that individuals can make a difference in society and history.
0: The conflict and the ultimate cooperation between Batman and Superman speaks to our modern-day need to coexist with contrary others, while being open and accepting of ideas that ultimately make us all better we're going to get more than a fist fight. Without a doubt, we're getting a film with more morals and philosophies, themes and psychology than just this prediction. But I'm already excited that we can go this deep with just a glimpse into its contents. I can't wait for the film itself. With the right attitude, appreciation and action, all will be well. Tickets go on sale on Superman's birthday. (laughs) Okay, I think I've rambled on long enough Thanks so much for listening. I just love discussing this stuff, and if you've been sticking with me, hopefully you do too. I'm genuinely grateful for each and every listener and hope you'll join us at manofsteelanswers.com. That way, if you have a question you want answered or insight you want to share or commentary to make, you can post in the comments for all your like-minded apologists to see. Or you can email me at manofsteelanswers.com. If you like what you heard, please review the show on iTunes and subscribe. I'm Doc, your DC Films Justice League Universe apologist. Sign Off, see you next time.
12: You're the answer, son.
1: With Batman v Superman. I wanted to continue this tone that we established in Man of Steel, but I really wanted to recapture some of the cinematic qualities of the movies that I loved that inspired me. We spent a lot of time and were very careful about where we would go for the next journey into the DC universe. We knew we had established a Clark Kent Superman character in a world that we now could build out from. We just felt like it was an original and interesting concept to pit him against another hero, but a darker hero and Batman was the perfect foil. Once you enter such a fantastical world as Batman versus Superman, and you take a real world product and company like Turkish Airlines, and you bring it in to really set the world as real, that's the thing that I was inspired by as a filmmaker, and I thought like, wow, we have created what we believe It's a pretty fantastical world for Batman versus Superman in the sense that you have these two superheroes battling it out, but the presence of Turkish Airlines really makes me feel like these things are actually happening. Turkish Airlines has this motto of widen your world. And the interesting thing and the way that that's played incredibly well into what we've done as a film is that We've literally widened the world by creating these two mythical cities of Gotham and Metropolis. The thing that got me excited about Turkish Airlines was their global reach, you know, and that they're a global brand and that they could bring to our project this awareness and they represent a certain quality of product that is really at a high level. And it's a great relationship for us because we try and create a product that has, you know, high production value, high conceptual uh, value. And I think that the relationship with Turkish Airlines, that's really exciting for us.
0: Check out the show notes for the full interview between Jay Oliva and Seth Everett of the Hall of Justice podcast. But Jay addressed some issues of interest, which I've excerpted here.
6: Enjoy. But I think the idea was that we would eventually have a standalone Superman film. The idea also is that you need the characters to go someplace. This is also, again, a criticism for the Man of Steel films people have told me. And I'm like, this is a new Clark Kent, new Kal-El. But if you want to do an overarching thing, you need to have some place for him to go. In the Donner film, his story finished at the end of Superman 2 that was it the thing with Lois all that was all kind of tidied up by the end of Superman 2 so when they did Superman 3 and 4 they had nowhere to go now back then they were only planning on just those two films in today's day and age studios want franchises they want Harry Potter they want the Marvel Cinematic News so I can see why they do what they do is because they want the characters to have some growth you want to see an arc you want to see them change as they go you can't just have them right off the bat aha I've got all my powers and I'm super powerful because then Superman is so hard to to write. He is so hard to write. I mean, mind you, what I mean by Superman is hard to write is that when you're dealing with in case of a reboot, right, your heroes are only as good as who the villains are and stuff. And so eventually, you know, once you get through Superman fighting Darkseid or any of these big hitters, the only thing you can do is try to explore the more character side of him. But then with these comic book films, you got to have spectacle at some point. So if Superman has already gone through all the rogues gallery that can actually go toe-to-toe with him, then where do you go? Whereas Batman, there's always so much more you can do with Batman in terms of because he's just a human being he's just a, I mean hes a very highly trained guy but Superman's hard because of the fact of his of his power set his power set he's very OP you know people always say well who's going to win Avengers or the Justice League I'm like are you kidding me the Justice League are so overpowered and that is essentially what the problem with Superman is is that the only way you can tell really good stories with him is you have to put him into character conflict conflicts within himself within his surround with his other with interaction with other characters but because physically one of my criticisms of Superman Returns is that he foils up bank robbery and that's that's it. I mean, the sequence at the beginning where he does the plane, I thought was the best thing ever. But then, what's the next thing after that? He foils a bank robbery. Any superhero nowadays can do a foil bank robbery, and it was a little overpowered, and then he never really went anywhere. At the end of the movie, he lands on a kryptonite continent and gets beat up. If you look at the arc of action, the beginning started off really high and it ended kind of lukewarm at the end, and what you want to do is you want to start off high and have these highs and lows and build to a very big climax, because film is like a roller coaster. you know? It's not like reading a book where you can put down the book and live on your life and come back to the book it's like a music song that you have to build up to something and say something with it and by doing so for superman it's hard i mean again like you're right there are some great superman stories out there but trying to adapt it you know i mean again with man of steel i always tell people well. Man of Steel is a look at, if Superman appeared today, now, he wasn't, he's not around in the 80s or 50s or whatever. If he appeared right now, how would the world react to him? And that's what it is. Some people will love him, some people will hate him, they fear him, uh, and that's what it was supposed to be, and that's why, like, you know, I got criticism about my fight in Metropolis, and I told people, well, it's like, if you had these gods fighting in a city, of course, you know, buildings are going to topple and that kind of stuff. You storyboarded yeah. the scene with the, 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 the two city blocks yeah. that got Bruce Wayne so mad. Yeah, I did all that. That's you. Yeah. He's mad at you. Yeah, he's mad at me. But I mean, the thing is, that way I told Zach is like, you know, because I asked him, I was like, well, why doesn't Superman fly away? And Zach's like, well, there's a line there where Zod is like, you destroyed my dreams of a new Krypton. Now I'm going to destroy everything you love. So he was, so if here's the thing. If Superman flew away, guess what? Zod was. Just he would fry Lois. He would destroy the city. Go. He would just destroy the world because that's how the fight was. Zod was going to kill everybody, and Superman had to like stop him. And through the fight, everybody just thinks it's fight porn. But there's a clear through story. The idea is that Superman is trying to figure out how do I stop this guy because there is no kryptonite in this world. The Phantom Zone has already closed. He tried throwing him into space. That didn't work. It, where would they put him? And then of course, finally Zod gives him the final choice, so, and he has to do what he has to do. But that the idea is that like we wanted to think of it like how would we do it in a more today's kind of world. Superman Returns on the other hand was still trying to capture the Donner feel of the 80s but audiences weren't buying it. I was working on Superman Doomsday when that film came out so I was watching Superman 1 and 2 religiously and then when I went to the theater and I watched Superman Returns I'm like I'm watching the same movie over and over again. It's like the same line same kind of...
12: or